With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. This is our Super Bowl recap. The Los Angeles Rams, your Super Bowl champions, 23-20 to 20 winners over the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, I'm here with Doug Maurice, Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock, and we're just going to real quickly recap the Super Bowl here on a Monday. And, I mean, we got to start with Odell Beckham Jr., right? That, that's where we have to kind of kick this off, I suppose. Mary Kay, you wrote about Odell, obviously, and, and we're all watching that game. He scores the touchdown. He gets hurt. He finally wins a championship. A lot of people upset with kind of the way things were painted on the broadcast. So there's kind of a lot of ways we can go uh, with this Odell discussion. But Mary Kay, let's just kind of start with kind of what your first thoughts were. Well, first of all, I do think that uh, that it was portrayed inaccurately on the broadcast. And I, I didn't think that uh, they did the Cleveland Browns uh, right. And I just, uh, I thought that was unfortunate because the Browns really did right by Odell Beckham Jr. And they not only released him so he could go sign with someone else, uh, but you know, they let him make his money. They, they let him become a free agent after this season. They, they could have done all different kinds of things that would not have had this outcome. Uh, but they showed that they are doing business in a certain kind of way and that they're going to treat star veterans right. And that's what they did with him. And that just was not reflected on the broadcast at all. And that was unfortunate. So I think that's number one. Uh, but then the other thing is, in my, my column was the fact that I think this, uh, this stretch of his with the Rams and in the playoffs proved that this dark period, these lean years that he had in Cleveland, they really weren't his fault. He landed in a horrible situation in 2019 uh, that was really difficult on everybody. And, um, and then it just went from there. It just spiraled from there. He really didn't want to be here. He got traded here. Uh, he felt Dave Gettleman sent him here to die. Um, and it was, you know, then you start having coaches get fired and general managers get fired and offensive coordinators switched up. Uh, I just think there were so many things that happened here that went against him. And then of course, tearing the ACL on a play when, uh, you know, it was just a miscommunication between Baker and Odell, which really was the sign of the times. That was all there was between those two most of the time. So I don't fault him really for doing what he had to do. And I don't necessarily know that he even was clued into the whole entire plan, the exit plan. I think he was part of, you know, like I think that might've been sprung on him a bit. 
but um but anyways i just think that this proves that all the things that happened in cleveland while he were here while he was here uh they, they weren't his fault he's still a really good elite nfl receiver and i think he he really was a major reason why they were in the super bowl and won it Ashley, I mean, like your, one of your first weeks on the job, maybe it was your very first week with the OW. Second week. Second <laughs> week. Second week. <laughs> I mean, it it was a, a wild week, and Odell talked about it for the first time uh, last week. And uh, like, I'll be honest. I mean, if he wants to sit here and say, well, he didn't expect the video to get posted, that's fine. But like, come on, Odell, you've got millions of Twitter followers and Instagram followers. You've got, you could be on ESPN in five minutes if you wanted to, if you wanted to address something like this. So you know, maybe he didn't know the video was coming and this, this, you know, steamroll of people trying to get him out of Cleveland was coming, but he could have, he could have put an end to it if he wanted to. So Ashley, kind of with that, all that being said from your first, your second week on the job to now, just your thoughts on seeing what Odell did. Yeah. You know, I mean, that whole week as that was spiraling with Odell Beckham senior posting that video, like we talked about in, in this age of social media, all Odell, Beckham Jr. had to do was come out if he didn't agree with this video being posted and didn't like this route. All he had to do was like make a post and say, I, I did not post this video. I did not tell my father to post this video like he just did. And then obviously who knows what happens. But I think clearly there was some element that he was unhappy here for a while. And in the end, you know, whosoever planned this was, like Mary Kay was saying, obviously there's no way to fully know how much he knew or was involved um, in terms of that week and what was being posted by other people. But clearly he was ready for to get out of Cleveland and do something else. And I, I just think in the end, like it paid off for him. But the thing last night with this revisionist history and Mary Kay kind of, you know, covered it all already, but the Browns sort of went above and beyond in a lot of ways to be able to make him a free agent. So I think that's an important part of this. And, you know, in an ideal world for them, hopefully that helps their stock with like future free agents and things like that. But this wasn't a thrown out into the street scenario, <laughs> I don't think by any means. And at the end of the day, it worked out for him. So that's really, I think, all there there is to say about it. But yeah, I mean, it was a, just again, can't stress enough, second week on a job, that was the biggest circus <laughs> I could have walked into. <laughs> yeah, Doug, I, I mean, this was going to be a hard watch for Browns fans one way or another, but they certainly caught some undeserving strays last night from that broadcast. Yeah, whatever. It's, it, it, it's so little about that to me. It's that they didn't use him when he was here. Like everything, like the exit, fine, whatever. Like that, the Rams threw the ball to Odell Beckham in the first half of the Super Bowl in a way that like the Browns felt like, well, I don't know. You just can't throw the ball to this guy. Like that's the issue for Browns fans. Who cares? Because it's not about how they handle the exit. It's about what led to the video. It's about what he felt. And he really thought, Mary Kay, that he was sent, his career was sent to die in Cleveland. Don't we think? Like if he would have gotten the ball consistently and been used effectively and been able to be one of the 10 best receivers in the league, he wouldn't have been happy here. Well, you know what? I mean, he felt that way initially that Dave Gettleman okay. sent him here to die the way that Jarvis uh, initially felt that way about Adam Gase, but absolutely 100%. Once you're here, if he had landed in a functional situation 
with a, you know, a really good offense and a, and a quarterback that was able to get him the ball and he had chemistry. I mean, if he came to Cleveland, if he came to the Cleveland Browns and Sean McVay and Matt Stafford were here, I don't think he would have had a problem with that at all. I, I think it, it really was like you just said, Doug, it was the way he was used and wasn't used. And it was the way the ball came in or didn't come in. It was the targets that he didn't get. That's absolutely what it was. The, the final straw was one target in a loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, it was just, it just became untenable. So, and it's not about, uh, we get it. The Freddie year was goofy. We understand that. Kevin Stefanski had a chance to reset this. They had a chance in 2021 to make it better. And if they, if Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield would have combined to effectively use a talented receiver, it felt like there was still room for it to work out. Now, we all know Cooper Cup is the number one guy with the Rams. He draws the defense. That opens up Odell. In Cleveland, Odell was the number one guy. He drew the defense. That opened up other people. We had plenty of times when we'd look at film and say, look at the safeties hanging over Odell. It opened something else up. But in the end, to me, whatever the hurt feelings was, uh, Baker didn't talk to Odell, whatever. On some level, this showed, and listen, He's not, he's not Devontae Adams, but they effectively used him in a way that the Browns felt like they couldn't do it. So that is some level of indictment on Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield that they couldn't make this guy effective. And whatever the mumbo jumbo was about, well, he didn't run the right routes. Not, I mean, I think if it feels like people just saying whatever they need to say in the moment to figure stuff out, they didn't throw to him enough. And when you watch him beat a guy one-on-one in the Super Bowl for a touchdown, it makes you feel like a crazy person of like, did that happen in Cleveland like ever? Like, why not? Well, maybe it's because he didn't get one-on-one coverage in Cleveland very much because he was such a focus of the offense. But for the Browns going forward, as they draft Garrett Wilson or Drake London or Traylon Burks, or as they sign somebody, they have to be able to use receivers in the NFL. You have to get talented receivers and use them. They had a talented receiver and they didn't know how to use him. And then they made the video and he got mad and he got frustrated and an exit plan. Blah, 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 blah. They didn't throw him the ball. Well, that, so that, that, that's on them. That's on Baker and Stefanski. I think certainly for the most part, maybe Odell's involved in that somewhere, but it's Baker and Stefanski first. But, but uh, and Doug, I, I actually want to, one of the points you made as you were talking there, I think is really important. It's, you know, yeah, Cooper Cup's going to get all the attention, right? And he's going to draw the defense. But what happens when you watch the Rams, watch Rams games? Cooper Cup gets open and gets the football. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. they figure out a way to get him the football. I mean, this whole playoffs, a, a few times I would see someone tweet or, or hear someone say, how is Travis how, how is Travis Kelsey always open? Do, do people just not cover Travis Kelsey? Well, obviously people cover Travis Kelsey, but they figure out ways to get him open. Tyreek Hill, um, you know, Cooper Cup. Is, is a great example of that. Jamar Chase, right? The Rams weren't, you know, the teams aren't ignoring Jamar Chase when they play the Bengals. He just happens, they figure out ways to get him the football. So, I mean, I think you're absolutely right with that. Just because you're the number one guy and the defense might roll a safety over to help you, you still got to figure out a way to get that guy the football. Stefan Diggs, got to figure out a way to get that guy the football. And it didn't happen. And, and I think for Odell, you know, what's really interesting too is, is he wasn't even signed to the Rams to be their number two receiver. You know, they had two receivers already. He was coming in to be the number three guy. Then the number two guy gets hurt. 
And Sean McVay still kind of figures out how to slide Odell Beckham in and be their number two guy until he left that game last night. So, yeah, I, I do think you're right, Doug. I think there is an indictment here on the quarterback and the scheme and the coach to, to some level. And now this is the part where Scott Pascoe would jump in and say, according to PFF, and I'm not like this, this also needs to be said. For instance, you look in 2020 before he got hurt, the first six games of 2020 before the knee injury against the Bengals, Odell Beckham had 42 targets. That was tied for 16th in the NFL, but he only had 23 catches on the 42 targets. That's like a 55% reception rate on his targets. Keenan Allen had a 72% reception rate. Uh, Stefan Diggs had a 72% reception rate. DeAndre Hopkins, 80% reception rate. So there were times when they were trying to throw him the ball, but he didn't catch it. It wasn't on target. Baker missed him, whatever. And then also the yards were not there. So even again, we're covering old ground, but it was a lot of forcing. It was never natural. You can look at raw target numbers and be like, well, they're not so far off, but it just never felt in the flow. It never felt as smooth as it looked in LA. Cooper Cup has a lot to do with that, but the Browns can't run from this. And in in the final evaluation, if there was some divide in the moment when Odell left town, get past the how, but to the why. Why did we reach this point? Whose fault is it that we got to this point where this talented guy is getting one or two targets a game? Yeah, That's not on him. Yeah, and you know what? And, and I think the reason why the Browns need to get to the why about that is because it is a crucial time in their development and they are at a crossroads this off season. They really need to know this why, because if there is one thing that these playoffs and this Super Bowl showed us is that you have to have a pretty amazing connection between an elite, an elite quarterback or elite quarterback play to a certain degree and a receiver, you need to have Matt Stafford to cup Beckham. You need to have Joe Burrow, to chase you need to have something like that if you are going to get this far uh, in today's nfl and if they are going to be trying to attract the chris godwins of free agency or trying to get guys here and get this receiving core up to speed and this passing game up to 2022 standards they have to know their why about this they absolutely have to dig into it because you have to go to these receivers if you want to sign a free agent and you have to say here's the why here's why this didn't happen you have to have a good answer for them. And I think the simplest answer seems to be, and it always comes back to, is it the quarterback, right? I mean, is the problem the quarterback? Was, is, was it as simple as in Cleveland? If you just would have plugged Matt Stafford in for Baker Mayfield, would everything have been wonderful? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. We do not know the answer to that yet, uh, but that is the task for this football team over the next two months is to figure that out because they are not going anywhere until they get this part right. It's really difficult to watch. Like last night they were really focusing on Matthew Stafford and how he goes through his progressions and you know, how he goes one side of the field and then goes back to the other. And he made a throw last night that was a no look pass. That was like, what, what was that? It, It was really difficult to watch that. It was really difficult to, and I know he didn't finish, but Ashley, when Joe Burrow gets the ball with one, what was it, 125 left in the game, it sure felt like the Bengals might go down and win that game. And, and those, that's just something, and even, again, even though it didn't happen, that's just something I don't think anyone's ever felt to this point with Baker Mayfield. 
Yeah. And, you know, watching that game overall last night, and I even tweeted something to the effect of Joe Burrow, and we've talked about this before, like his processing for somebody who is just in his second year and didn't get that full first year is just kind of amazing to watch. And again, like when they get the ball with that much time left, I'm thinking, okay, maybe the Bengals are going to pull off the the last second win here. Um, But again, it goes back to with Baker Mayfield, I think a lot of the questions that still need to be answered, like obviously how is he going to look without the harness and and the shoulder injury and battling that this year, but the processing things, especially are things that have come up repeatedly with him throughout his career. And again, when we've talked about him before, it's, it's important to note, he's not quote unquote young anymore in terms of his experience in the league or his, his age, whatever. He has enough experience now that you would kind of think it would be further along But again, it goes back to, okay, where some of like the issues we saw this year with him, you know, being too slow to get the ball out or telegraphing where he's throwing it and the Steelers are batting down five passes in that game. Like, did that have to do with his confidence was just so shaken at that point because of the injury? Or is it something else that needs to be addressed? So I definitely think like watching those two guys last night compared to what we saw for most of the year, kind of up close, like it's night and day, a night and day difference for me. Doug, is there a lesson, and if you want to talk about the quarterback too, you can, you can do that more if you want to add to that, but is, is there, I don't think the Browns are ever going to go all in like the Rams did. And, you know, if the Rams don't win the Super Bowl, maybe we're not talking about them in the same way, but is there any lesson to be learned about how the Rams built this football team for the Browns? I don't know. Cause I don't know that they would ever do it that I just, yeah. Maybe there's a lesson of like, don't be afraid to lean into your winning window, right? That while you have a good core of players, lean in. But I don't even know what their core is, right? There probably isn't because like Aaron they Donald's- might all, They might all retire. <laughs> like Aaron, Aaron Donald's their core, but it's like Cooper Cup kind of came out of nowhere. They traded for the quarterback. They signed Von Miller and Odell Beckham in the middle of the year they let John Johnson and Troy Hill go. They traded for Jalen Ramsey and gave up a bunch of first rounders a couple of years ago. Like they, they don't have a miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb, Joel Batonio kind of whole homegrown thing other than Donald, right. To, to really build around. So, you know, to me, if there's a moment where Andrew Barry, you know, they traded a second rounder for Von Miller this year. If there would be a moment where the Browns, at a trade deadline or currently the second or third seed in the AFC and Andrew Barry is thinking about, I could add a veteran. It's going to cost me a second rounder, maybe one move, right? Maybe he could say, you know what? Let's lean in. That's not overvalued draft picks. I don't think as an across the board philosophy, but maybe it'll help him pull the trigger on one veteran risk that he wouldn't otherwise. I was going to say, uh, you know, I, I think that's exactly what the Rams did. I think they they seized the moment over the last couple of years. They did whatever it took. They spent the money. They spent the draft capital. And they ended up with uh, the Lombardi Trophy. And I think that it is one way to do it. It is absolutely one way to go about this. And I think in some respects, the Browns have actually followed this model a little bit. Uh, you know, I think they have gone out each year and tried to sign one or two of the top free agents. Uh, they have made trades. I think Andrew Barry is very aggressive 
and I think that he will continue to be aggressive. I mean, if you really look at, at what the Rams did, I mean, it started uh, first and foremost, really the turnaround with uh, making that blockbuster trade for, for Matt Stafford, because I do believe that if they did not do that, they would not be where they are today. I think they had to do that. That was the key piece for them. Uh, but then they did so many other things, you know, even after that. And they just kept, you know, the, the, their foot on the gas pedal and they did not let up. And I think that that's if the Browns want to seize the moment. And right now they are in position to try to win now. You have to start uh, trying to win those Super Bowls immediately because very soon uh, those, that core team that you thought you had starts to disperse. As you mentioned, Dan, I mean, like the Rams might start breaking up here a little bit. So uh, you've got to capture the moment when you have it. And, uh, and I, I think this offseason is crucial for them. I don't think that they can approach 2022 as like, oh, well, you know what? Let's get back on track. I, I think they have to go for it. I think they have to go for it. I mean, you've got, I mean, Miles Garrett is heading into his sixth season, right? I mean, some of these guys are starting to uh, not, not be at the tail end of their career, but they're not young anymore in football terms. So I think they do need to try to do everything that they possibly can uh, this off season. And I think they do need to go all in and spend whatever money they need to spend, whatever draft capital they need to, uh, to get themselves into a Super Bowl or as close as they can this very season. Now the Rams are unique in this. And when the Rams, the Rams have been doing this for a couple of years and sort of like last year it was sort of like, man, the Rams, sort of went in on a bunch of stuff. They traded all the guys for Rams. Like, and it didn't work. And people were sort of like, ah, this whole, this whole all-in Rams thing is not working. So they do stand alone in that. And I don't know. Um, I do think, I mean, things swing. I think we had swung for a while towards analytics, tank, draft capital, acquire all your picks. Picks are the most important thing. And maybe we'll swing a little more towards back like picks, man, what picks are, are who knows what picks are going to be. If you can trade picks for sure things, get sure things. The, the other thing is they had almost 25 million of dead cap from Jared off this year. Didn't matter. So sometimes we're like, Oh no, what's the worst thing that could happen is you sign a quarterback to a long-term deal and he's not good. And then you've got to eat dead cap. And it's like, eh, get a quarterback, right? Maybe it's your, maybe it's the guy you have now. Maybe it's not, but get a quarterback who cares about the money, who cares about the capital, get the quarterback. And I'm not saying the Browns should, this should absolutely make the Browns eat $18 million of Baker Mayfield or whatever. And, but the Rams traded Jared Goff. He was the biggest dead cap hit in the league this year. They had more dead cap from Goff than like most teams had overall. And they still were playing Stafford. And they have a Super Bowl trophy. Who cares about dead cap? So get players, right? Now it's like, eh, the cap, man. Don't worry about the cap. And it's like, then all of a sudden, you know, you're strapped and you have to, you can't sign four guys you really want to sign because you ignored the cap. And we spent, what was John Dorsey's thing in Cleveland? John Dorsey's like, John Dorsey doesn't care about the cap. John Dorsey's just get players. Who cares about the cap? We'll figure that out later. And now I'm saying ignore the cap. So you're everybody's a prisoner of the moment a little bit. They ate $25 million of dead cap on a quarterback. They thought they couldn't win with. And they said, we don't care about that. We're going to upgrade that position. 
And that dude made a couple throws in the Super Bowl that got him over the top. A quarterback that had them in the Super Bowl. Go ahead, Ashley. Yeah. I was just going to ask Doug what that accent was, first hey. of all. <laughs> hey, it's the cap guy. I don't care about no cap over here. It's about Dallin. Um, no, I just wanted to add, like, and Mary Kay touched on it there, too, but it's like these windows to win Super Bowls are so so small so like kind of to doug's point there about you know whatever is the cap even real like just kind of do whatever you have to do to win like i mean you don't want to end up having wasted the prime of guys like miles garrett denzel ward and nick chubb you just don't i mean it that those windows in general are so small um that it it kind of gives credence to that i guess yeah and, and again going back like like you said, Doug, I mean, this team was in the Super Bowl, right, with Jared Goff, but that wasn't good enough. Like, ultimately, they came back and they said, this is not good enough. We're going to give up a bunch of draft picks. We're going to just eat the money on Jared Goff because we believe Matthew Stafford can be that guy, which was not a sure thing. I mean, nobody knew what Matthew Stafford was going to do on the biggest stage because we'd never seen it. Uh, you know, I've always liked the guy. I've always thought he was good, but nobody knew exactly how that was going to work out. But you you know, that's the swing you've got to take sometimes. And, and that's why and I know Mary Kay, you've said this a little bit. I cringe a little when people are like, oh, well, Baker didn't win a playoff game. Are you going to give up a quarterback that won a playoff game? I think you got to look a little deeper than that. Yeah. I think the other thing about the, the Rams, when I look at this too, is the fact that they have some of uh, the best players in the NFL at their positions. So really, if you look at, you know, the, the three major reasons why they won the Super Bowl. And I think Odell also played a huge part in this, but Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald. Okay. Matt Stafford was the key piece they needed to get this year to put them over the top. I firmly believe that. And I firmly believe that the Browns need that kind of elite quarterback play to get, if they want to get here, if they can get it from Baker Mayfield, have at it. But if they don't think they can go find yourself a quarterback like a Matt Stafford, not as easy as it sounds. I understand that. But you've got to get, you've got to have that guy. Cooper Cup, my goodness. I mean, he is absolutely amazing, but you have to have your version of Cooper Cup. So go get him. Is if, if Doug were the GM of the Browns, that would be uh, Garrett Wilson in the first round. But, you know, you don't know, right? I mean, but you don't know if you're going to have that first round pick because if you have to go out and try to get your Matt Stafford, you might need to use that first round pick on that guy. So we'll have to see, but somehow they have to find their Cooper cup. And then the other thing is Aaron Donald. And I wrote a column about this a couple of days ago, the Browns have their sort of version of Aaron Donald, but their version of Aaron, Aaron Donald. Uh, and if they play different positions, I understand that miles Garrett. Um, I think we've been too easy on him. Okay. I think we've been too easy on miles. Miles needs to take his game up to another level. Okay. And he's got it in him. And Aaron Donald is the best player in the NFL or one of the best players in the NFL, as is Miles Garrett. But he dominates games a lot. We see it a lot. Miles needs to take over a game more often. And the, the, basic, the, the very specific thing that I wrote about was the fact that he needs to create more turnovers, more game-changing plays, uh, and he also needs to use that vertical leap and swat down more passes. I and mean, he just needs to be uh, make more of a huge impact the way that Aaron does. So 
I think they have some key pieces. They need more, uh, but some of the key pieces that they have need to elevate their game. Yeah, and I, and I think the other thing too, when, when you watch the games like this, is like sometimes we need to stop making excuses. Like, I saw screenshots yesterday where Aaron Donald was going one on three. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it like every, and I'm not just talking about Miles in this instance, but like right. every elite pass rusher gets a double team, triple team, chipped, all that stuff, held. Um, you know, the Bengals, their offensive line is a disaster. They managed to get to the Super Bowl. Their starting right tackle has been out since December. You know, I, I think it's really easy because we're in it, because we watch it every day. We're around the Browns every day to kind of sit and make excuses. Well, this happened and that happened and that player got hurt. You know, the, the Rams were without two of their top three receivers by about the second quarter yesterday. Robert Woods has been out since November. You know, Odell Beckham got hurt in the Super Bowl. Like, it's really easy to make excuses. And sometimes those things do catch up to you like they did with the Chiefs last year in that Super Bowl. Eventually, things like that will catch up with you. But I do think sometimes we make excuses a little bit too easily. and say, well, this guy got hurt or, you know, that guy's getting held and double teamed. And it's the NFL. You just sometimes you got to just go make the play. And Aaron Donald was bottled up for a lot of this game. But when it mattered, he showed up and made some big plays. And I think probably should have been the MVP in this game. It might have been had the voting happened after the game. Yeah, a case can be made, Dan. Why does the media stuff is so dumb it's like we we can't they have to get the ballots i don't i mean i've voted this stuff sometimes it's like yeah they pass it like a paper ballot with two minutes left and hey you're in the middle of covering your game who's the mvp and fill it out and get it to us before the game ends like, like what, if joe burrow, what if joe burrow would have let a game-winning drive right so stupid <laughs> it's the super bowl mvp it super matters and they don't announce it until like 17 minutes after the game, after the owner gives a 48-minute speech about, ah, oh, I'm an old guy with a lot of money. Thanks for a trophy. Wait, get the right MVP. Let the people vote. Or maybe don't have the people vote who are like busily slamming out their stories in the middle of a game. Be smarter, NFL. God, it's so freaking stupid. Oh, well, we voted before the game ended. Sorry. Oh, you voted before the Super Bowl ended for the most important player? Great system. It's not 1973. Oh, we got to tabulate it. We got Steve in the back. He has to count 20 (laughs) ballots. Can you vote by the end of the third quarter? Great point. Great, great, great point. I mean, come on. I mean, I can send a poll to our to our text subscribers and get like the results within like 30 seconds. And, you know, Dan, to the point that you were making, though, about, uh, you know, that we do sometimes make excuses for, um, you know, for the Browns and and the things that happen with the Cleveland Browns. uh, I agree with you on that. I mean, Joe Burrow had a porous offensive line and was sacked 51 times more than any other quarterback in the NFL this season. And he found a way to to beat that. And they found a way to beat that and get to the Super Bowl. And I, but I I do think that once again, part of it is when you have a quarterback like that, it covers up for some other ills. And uh, when you don't have that, or at least when your quarterback isn't playing like that, uh, then all of those other things stand out and seem catastrophic. So the the thing that's that's hard, I don't mean to be like a wrap up thing, but like most of the things the Browns do right now are good their gm is good we think their coach is good 
I think a lot of their players are good. So in a world where the mo- the easiest comparison for anybody here, or anybody listening is the Browns themselves, the most recent versions of the Browns. They're so much better in everything that I don't know if excuse is the right word, but it's like, well, they've made a lot of progress and you do need to give them credit for that. On this podcast right now, 12 hours after the end of the Super Bowl, we're talking about Super Bowl level. Mm-hmm. And is Andrew Barry, is he a Super Bowl GM? Is he making the last, the diabolical, risky, go-for-it moves to get you over the top? Is Kevin Stefanski a Super Bowl coach who manages all the egos and then in the right moment, you know, puts the right guys in the right situations? Is Baker Mayfield a Super Bowl quarterback? Is Miles Garrett a Super Bowl defender? Do they have receivers who, of course, you're going to be triple covered, but you have to get open anyway and make the catch? Do they have those level of people? I don't think that, you know, our, as much as we talk about the Super Bowl, as much as Dan picked them to make the Super Bowl, as much as we all picked them to go far in the playoffs, I think that's a question. Because first, they have to be good. And we got to double check that they're good on some spots right now, right? But then it I could, do think it's like, it's so hard because Andrew Barry is so competent. It's like, where's your Von Miller get over the top? Maybe, maybe Clowney was that, whatever. But I'm just saying, that's the threshold that we're talking about. And that's, Dan, where I think the excuses come in. Because if you're going to do this, you're going to have to wade through a swamp of crap to get here. And that's just the way it is. And all your best people have to rise to the occasion. I got, I got two more things I want to ask you guys. Um, but first, I, I do want to say, I did pick the Rams to beat an Ohio team in the Super Bowl. Wow, for real? <laughs> I got your prediction like two-thirds right. Oh, I, yeah. that's and Odell, very good. And Odell got a ring. There and you I go. picked the Browns to make it to the Super Bowl. So, like, Odell was in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'll take a lot of credit for that. No, you can take a lap here. I didn't know you picked the Rams to win the Super Bowl. Come on, Dan, get up. Yeah. I picked the Rams to beat the Browns in the Super Bowl, but that's a victory lap. Go ahead, Ohio, take your victory. Ohio team. You even you that's even got an close. AFC North team, AFC North Ohio team. That's there you true. go. See, I was like that close. <laughs> but that's yeah. very good. That's very good. So okay, here's here's the question I want to ask. I got one kind of football Browns question, and then one just kind of random throwaway question about the Super Bowl in general. Browns and Bengals, we we spent a whole, we did a whole series on them last week. Go back and listen to the pods. Go back and read the stuff on cleveland.com slash Browns. Who do you feel most confident in moving forward to get to the Super Bowl in the next, let's say, three years? Because, uh, you know, Joe Burrow is amazing. The AFC is really difficult. I think there's a scenario where the where Joe Burrow and the Bengals get to the Super Bowl a bunch. I think there's a scenario where they keep running into the Bills and the Chiefs and the Chargers and whoever else, and it's just sort of like uh, maybe I don't want to say he's going to be Dan Marino. I think Joe Burrow will be in the Super Bowl again. But, you know, there's a scenario where they don't just keep rolling to Super Bowls year after year after year. So which team do you feel most confident in getting either in the Bengals' case getting back to the Super Bowl or in the Browns' case getting to the Super Bowl in the next, let's say, three years? Right now, I'm going to say the Bengals because they have several of the uh, the key pieces already in place uh, that you need to have to get there, specifically Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And Jamar is so young. That was his rookie year. Uh, so I, I'm going to say the Bengals because uh, I, I think that Joe has that it factor. 
and he's got the guy to help him. And I think they sort of have it going on right now. And the Browns are still in search of those, at least those two key pieces. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Mary Kay on the Bengals. And I think when Cincinnati figures out that offensive line, that might stop them from running into some of those teams like the Chiefs, like the Bills, like you said, Dan. Um, And if Joe Burrow was this good with basically an offensive line held together by used chewing gum and scotch tape and safety pins, like if that unit is functioning, I think they have a really good chance to, to keep going back there, given his mindset and his abilities already. Let me see what the Browns do at receiver in the next couple of months. I, I think the same, I think the things that Ashley just said about the Bengals offensive line, you could say the same about the Browns receiving core. Mm-hmm. And then it comes down to the Browns quarterback versus Bengals quarterback. We all know what the deal is with that, but the Browns currently, as we sit are so non-functional in the receiver room. And we're all assuming they're going to get better. They're definitely going to get better. They might get a lot better. And as we keep pounding the idea of Dan, as you wrote in our Bengals Brown series, like the passing game and the receivers, like it's just a must. If they get two dudes that kind of fix that instantaneously, you know, I thought Eli Apple, you know, for the Bengals, there were a couple moments where it's like, okay, well, like the Browns corners are better than that. And the Bengals, you know, they had some injuries on the offensive line, but they have some other areas too that aren't great there. And Trey Hendrickson's still not Miles Garrett. And as we ran through all this stuff, I think I think the Browns passing game is such a problem right now. I, I think I think it's possible we might all say the Browns by September, if they look good throwing the ball in camp with new receivers and whether with a healthy Baker or somebody else, just that it looks better. I actually will say the Browns right now. Because, as we detailed, they are better kind of in multiple areas and they are coming off they are coming off a situation where their passing game was as bad as it could be in every facet. Drama, injury, lack of production, getting a little old, young guys not ready. On every area, it fell short. And if that's a lot better, then get back to me. But I'll say the Browns for now. Well, the one thing I will say, I mean, I think, and Doug, I know you've brought this up before, like they can retool that wide receiver room, but are they going to throw them the ball? Like, I know you've asked that exact question before. Like, so there are bigger questions here than just getting more talented receivers. Are they going to actually throw those guys the ball? Good. Good point, Ashley. <laughs> Maybe I'll switch back to the Bengals. Now I have six-yard passes to the tight end dancing in my head again. And I'm like, can Sorry. I just say that team's going to the Super Bowl? So, yes, I will believe that when they have more healthy talent in the receiver room, they will throw them the ball. But we just talked about what an indictment it is on the coach and the quarterback that didn't throw it to Odell Beckham. So I, I guess I shouldn't assume that. This, uh, I have to say the Bengals just because of Burrow. Because I – Man, I, I just can't get it out of my head that we're going to be sitting here next January and saying to ourselves, like, yeah, that really was a mistake to just kind of run it back. Like, they, they really needed to go get this guy at quarterback. I don't know who that guy is. I know this year's really hard. There's no guy in the draft. There's no, I mean, I just, it's hard for me. 
it, it's more realistically, more realistic for me to close my eyes and envision us sitting here saying, oh, I can't believe they just ran it back at quarterback and thought that would work than to be sitting here and saying, man, they nail, what a great decision. Baker Mayfield's taking the Browns to the Super Bowl. And I'm well, saying that the next like, three years, like, instead of the next three years, not the just next, three next years, year, yes. right? Yeah. But again, until I know who that guy is, I, I still have to ride with, with Joe. And like I said, Doug, I, I picked the Browns to go to the Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield this year. So, I mean, things change pretty dramatically. The, the Super Bowl this year wasn't the two best quarterbacks in the league. No. So I'm not – I don't want to use Joe Burrow to make the point that, oh, your quarterback doesn't have to be that great. But yet, you know what I mean? That Patrick Mahomes – it wasn't Patrick Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers. It was – two quarterbacks who made plays and played well and had good teams around them and who sort of rose to the occasion. And so it, how do I say this? It doesn't have to be, as we sort of said, Baker doesn't have to be Joe Burrow, but as Joe Burrow is to Patrick Mahomes, maybe Baker Mayfield could be to Joe Burrow. And if the other stuff around you is working, that's SAT stuff right there. I was just going to say that. (laughs) <laughs> and and then as Nick Mullins is to Baker Mayfield or whatever, it's like, where do we go down to think? But if like, if you get what I'm saying there, that Joe Burrow was really good when they needed him to be, but it's, it is more than quarterback. It is. I, I, I get what you're saying, but when you're twisting yourself in pretzels to like justify the quarterback you have, I think, that, I think that's a problem. <laughs> Whenever I, I cite the, the SAT, I'm done. Really good. <laughs> The talent on the roster for the Browns, if they figured out the quarterback position, I, I actually would definitely say that. But. You guys, you guys talked about uh, a little bit ago, you know, is this, and Doug, you were mentioning, is this a Super Bowl organization right now in all those places where they need to be? And I think Andrew Barry needs to be a Super Bowl GM this offseason. He is at a crossroads. He really has to figure out how to spend this money, how to spend these draft picks. And then there's going to be an incredible strategy to it because how do you use that first round pick? It is pivotal. It's, it's crucial how you do this because what if you're, you think, oh my gosh, Baker Mayfield is going to be everything we ever thought he was going to be in 2022. And therefore you don't plan appropriately uh, to end up with your next quarterback who could be coming out in next year's draft, but you're going to find yourself down in the twenties somewhere and you can't get to. So there is an incredible strategy that has to happen this offseason in terms of trying to find those key pieces, your elite quarterback play, and your elite receiver and how he goes about it will determine the future of this franchise for the next three or four years and whether or not they are the team that can get to the Super Bowl instead of the Bengals and the AFC North. Okay. Last question. I know Doug, you got to get going so you can talk, do more talking on the, uh, on the Buckeye talk pod. Uh, This is the, this is a sports nerd question. I'm just going to throw it out there. The Super Bowl celebration stinks. You've got like, this stage where there's like 10 people and the team is down on the field and it's really awkward. And they give the trophy to the owner and all this stuff, which sport has the best championship celebration? College basketball. That was one of my, they play one shining moment and they cut down nets, man. Go let, they should get a saw and let it Aaron Donald climb up and like saw off a piece of the goalpost. (laughs) That'd be sweet. I was thinking hockey's always good. Kind of that that pile up on the goalie and the baseball when they do the dog pile 
That's always fun. Listen, the NFL has the best product and they're like baseball has no product and all baseball has <laughs> is history and stuff. But the fact that the NFL's MVP is screwed up and dumb and you only vote for one person and they don't even do it themselves and you don't even, nobody really cares. It pales so much compared to the Heisman. Their MVP is stupid. Their, their trophy why isn't their trophy as good as the Stanley Cup? Like, make a better trophy, make it cooler, do something with it, and have a better celebration. They have to get this ant- – the stuff on the field people would consume 24 hours a day. The ancillary stuff blows. Let's go, NFL. <laughs> there we go. They should just put the <laughs> halftime show at the end for the celebration. Right? Think about if, if Snoop Dogg gave the presentation <laughs> to the team, that's better than Mike Tirico and Roger Goodell. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> oh, it wouldn't be a Super Bowl half. It wouldn't be a Super Bowl podcast if we didn't say where we thought the halftime show ranked. I've got it right now, just off the top of my head. I got it second behind Prince. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever going to beat Prince, right? Yeah. yeah well, the per- Maria Taylor before it happened said, "We're about to see the greatest halftime show ever." It was like, <laughs> you see the future? "What are we talking about? Let them perform first. I yeah. thought they were very good. Was yeah. Fitty was the what, Fitty set was the surprise? Was he the surprise? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was a good surprise. He was upside down for a little bit. So I yeah. thought that was good. Because right. that was the music. People seem to be missing that on Twitter. That was in the music video. He basically like recreated that in the music video. He was hanging <laughs> oh. upside down. Yeah. No, it was very good. It was very As, good. But I think we overhyped it before it happened. We didn't just let it play out. As someone who has put up a number of ceiling fans in my house, the most nervous person. And that entire stadium was the person who rigged up the thing that 50 Cent had to like dangle from for that few minutes. That had to be nerve wracking. Uh, I'm used to that he's kind not, of stuff, Dan. He's not as small. <laughs> he's not as small as he used to be. Yeah, I'm used to uh, people hanging from apparatus in, in my life. It's been happening with my uh, gymnastics daughters since they were two. <laughs> but, um, but anyways, I thought you were going to say I'm, I'm accustomed to rappers hanging from my ceiling. <laughs> like, what is happening in the cabin house? <laughs> I loved the uh, I loved the halftime show, but I I mean, I, I would say that it was in my top five. Prince's first for me, of course. I love that. Um, and it will be hard to ever top that. I, I really loved it because I love rap music and I love hip hop and I, I love all of that. That goes on in the uh, Cabot Merman household a lot, too, and has for many years. But um, but I can't honestly say it was, I didn't think it was the greatest of all time. It was up there. It was in my top five, but it was not number one. All right. There we go. So, we got so our, can we I, go. I, I looked up one more set of Odell Beckham Jr. stats before we go, just to confirm with everybody. If we can do it, just, just do it real quick. And I know, I know I'm the one who has to leave. So PFF, the, the games that Odell played, weeks three through eight, the weeks he played in Cleveland. So he did have, again, just to reset the final thing on this, he had 34 targets in those games. That was tied for 32nd in the league. Most targets when they were using him this season. Okay. But of everybody in the league who had at least 34 targets during that time, and by, by comparison, Cooper Cup in that six-game stretch, 67 targets for the Rams. Jamar Chase in that stretch, 46 targets for the Bengals. So again, that's, they weren't using them that much. Right. But they were so ineffective, his yardage, he had 232 yards on those 34 targets. That's next to last of anybody with that many targets and his reception rate. He only had 17 receptions 
than those 34 targets. Again, second to last. So they threw to him not enough, but when they threw to him, it was so awful and unexplosive and ineffective. And then he was better than that in LA. But they had they had a guy who really was a true number one receiver, and they were awful at it. So it's not just targets, it's what you do with the targets. That will be on Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield until a receiver has a good year with them. Because you have to have that. Whatever they do, we're going to use that information as some kind of example of they don't know what to do with a good receiver. And they have to prove that they do. But there's no reason to give them the benefit of the doubt right now. All right, Ram Super Bowl champions. There's our Super Bowl recap. We've got a full week of pods coming at you this week. Uh, so just make, just make sure you're a subscriber wherever you listen to your podcast. Mary Kay, Doug, and Ashley. We'll talk to you all later.